0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernak. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message.
1: First Chronicles chapter number 21, the Bible says in verse number 1, And Satan stood up against Israel, and provoked David to number Israel. Verse 2, "'And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, "'Go, number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, "'and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it.' "'And Joab answered, "'The Lord make his people a hundred times, "'so many more as they be. "'But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? "'Why then doth my Lord require this thing?' Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Verse number four, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred, threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. Verse 6, But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly, because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we come
0: before you as we look at your word and we know that your word has the answer to every situation, to every problem we face. And we know that your word has the answer for our country. Uh, Your word has the answers for uh, the national uh, problems that we are in the midst of today. And I pray that we would see our nation turn back to you. I pray that as Christians we would do our part I pray that uh, we would uh, follow your word. I pray that you'd speak to us. Uh, Help us not to miss what you have for us. Thank you for the great singing we've enjoyed and the great time already to be together with your people. I thank you for their faithfulness on this 4th of July weekend. And I pray that now we would uh, receive a very special blessing from your word. And I pray that we would be helped and challenged. And I pray we would be changed uh, as we listen and as the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This passage is a a very sad passage of Scripture because we see in this passage a nation uh, that was God's chosen people, and they had a king. The king was King David, who was a man after God's own heart. But something happened to David in verse number 1. The Bible says that Satan stood up against Israel, and he provoked David to number Israel. Now, let me make this very clear. Satan did not make David do anything. And Satan's not gonna make you do anything. You're gonna choose, and I'm gonna choose what we do. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 24, uh, the parallel passage, it says that God is the one that tested David. Uh, In this passage, Satan is the one that tempted, but God allowed this test into David's life. But David made the choice. David made the choice here to number the people, the the soldiers, the army that he had accumulated. What What a vastly different situation from 1 Samuel 17. Remember the story? David is out on the battlefield facing Goliath and David doesn't have any hope. He doesn't have any chance of defeating Goliath. He's out there by himself. And what did David do? He trusted God. He put his faith in God. He said, God, I can't do it, but you can. And God, I'm not able, but you are. And David saw a great victory as he fought against Goliath. But now here's the problem. David's got a situation much like we are in today. God's blessed David. David's won some battles. David's seen some victories. And now David thinks he doesn't need God anymore. You know why? Because he has over a million and a half trained soldiers, and he's so impressed with his army, he tells Joab, he says, Joab, I want the exact number. Joab doesn't want to count. He doesn't want to do it because God had Commanded that they not number the army because God knew they'd be lifted up with pride. But David says, I want to know anyway. So Joab begins to number. He left out Levi and he left out the tribe of Benjamin. But here's the number he came back with Israel, had a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand. A thousand thousand is a million plus another 100,000, you have 1,100,000 soldiers, and then you add Judah's army into that, and there's another 470,000 soldiers, over a million and a half. And David, in his pride, thinks, we've got it figured out now. We've arrived. Maybe David got to the point where he didn't think he needed God. Does that sound like our country today I think so you know this nation has been blessed by God this nation has experienced freedom this nation has experienced prosperity this nation has experienced great military strength but can I tell you I think we're at the point now where we truly do not think that we need God say pastor why would you say that well We don't think we need the Bible anymore. We've decided we're gonna throw that out of the schools. And by the way, before we start talking about the schools, I wonder when was the last time you opened it and read it in your own home? That gets quiet, here we start talking about us, right? It's easy to talk about everybody else. What about prayer? We've thrown prayer out, we've thrown God out, we've thrown the Bible out. And can I tell you, not only that, we've come to a point in our country where we think it's perfectly normal and it's perfectly right to murder innocent babies in the mother's womb. Now, I thank the Lord for the Supreme Court decision a little over a week and a week ago where Roe versus Wade was overturned. But can I tell you, that does not change the fact that for decades in this country, millions of babies have been murdered under the guise of health care and pro-choice. Not to mention the fact of abortion. We live in a society, we live in a country that has not only normalized homosexual lifestyle, but this country has glorified it. And this country has promoted it And it's not just Hollywood anymore. And it's not just the sports stars anymore. It's government officials who have stood up and have declared, this is what we want. And if you don't like it, you're the problem. And can I tell you, that is where we are as a nation. We have said we don't need God. We have acted like we don't need God. We have promoted and glorified the very things that God hates and we expect God to bless America. Well, I'll tell you this, I think we are currently under the judgment of God. Now, I know we're not experiencing anything close to what will uh, what will happen in the book of Revelation and the tribulation period, but can I tell you, we just went through uh, about two years of this thing called COVID. We never heard of it before. We didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know what in the world was going on. Can I tell you, I believe... And I don't know all the reasons for it, but I believe that's the judgment of God. We're living in a country where we're seeing shootings on a regular basis. We're in a country where we're hearing about uh, 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 fires and we're hearing about natural disasters and we're living in a country where we're experiencing now inflation through the roof. And can I tell you, I believe we're starting to experience and, and, and feel the judgment of God. It's exactly what happened to Israel. David numbered the people. and God sent the prophet to David and said, David, because you have sinned, he said, I'm going to give you three choices. He said, you can have three years of famine. You can have three months to be destroyed by your enemies or you can have three days with the sword of the Lord de- destroying and, and, and killing the people of Israel. Wow. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what I would choose. None of those three sound good to me. David chose the last one, and he said the reason for his choice, he said, because at least if we put ourselves in the hand of God, we know that God is merciful. So the judgment of God began upon Israel. We see in verse number 14, the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. We don't know how long that took. It certainly was not three days. We read in the book of Isaiah that the Assyrian army, they had their entire army of 185,000 soldiers that were wiped out in one night. I don't know how many would have been killed if the angel of the Lord had continued for three days, but we know 70,000 were wiped out almost immediately. You say, why 70,000? Well, maybe God was whittling down that number that David was so proud of. Maybe God was showing David that his power was not in the army, but his power was in his God. But the judgment of God began. We see in verse number 15, and God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying the Lord, what's that next word, verse 15? The Lord beheld. Now, that's an interesting word. It means that God, while the angel was destroying, it means that God saw something. And there was something that God saw that caused God to tell his angel to stop, to halt operation, because there was something that God saw in the midst of this. Notice verse number 15. And the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed it is enough stay now thine hand and the angel of the lord stood by the threshing floor of ornan the jebusite verse 16 and david lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the lord stand between the earth and the heaven having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over jerusalem can you imagine that sight you imagine for David as he looks up and sees over Jerusalem, he sees the angel of the Lord with a sword, probably a flaming sword, and he sees this angel suspended between heaven and earth and he knows there's already been tens of thousands killed and the judgment's just getting started. David sees this sight. David sees this sight. I want you to notice verse number 16. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. I believe this is what God saw. I believe God saw that there was a king who, although he was lifted up in pride and although he had disobeyed God and although he had sinned, he saw a king that wasn't too big to fall on his face before God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I have sinned. God, I am the problem. God, would you please forgive me? We know the Bible teaches that righteousness exalts a nation. But I'd like to show you this morning that there's only one thing that saves a nation. And I believe that one thing is what we need so desperately in the United States of America. I think we need it in our churches. I think we need it in our homes. I think we need it in our marriages. I think we need it in every life here. And that one thing is this, humility. We've gotten away from humility, haven't we? We think that because we've got everything going for us, we've got money in the bank and we've got freedom and we've got liberty and we've got all the best of the best, we think we don't need God. But I got news for you. The reason you and I are in the position we are is because God has been good to us. Everything good you have in this life is all because of God. It's not because of you. It's not because of me. All you have to do is spin the globe. Put your finger on another spot. And I promise you this, you wouldn't have it as good as you have it here today. God has blessed our nation and it's all because of Him. But sometimes we start to feel like David, don't we? Like, look what we've done. Look at this army that we've gathered. Look at all, all the strength and all the might and all the resources that we've put together. And humility is what is necessary to save a nation. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God said, if my people which are called by my name shall, first thing, humble themselves. Proverbs 6, God gives us a list of seven things that he hates and the first thing on that list is a proud look. So how do we come to a point of humility? How do we get to a point where we can see a nation saved and a nation spared? Let me show you quickly in this passage what I believe it takes to save a nation. Number one, we must have the posture of humility. Verse 16, then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. Sackcloth was a a, a type of clothing, a type of material that the people would put on their bodies when they were in mourning, when they were grieving, when they were repenting of their sin. You say, why sackcloth? Well, sackcloth is a material like a a burlap. And can I tell you, there's a reason why nobody in this room today is wearing clothing that is made out of burlap. You want to know why? It would itch the fire out of you. It would irritate you, and that's if you're sitting still. And that's if you're in an air-conditioned building. Can you imagine going about your work? Can you imagine working outside in construction or working outside mowing the lawn, and uh, you've got clothing made out of sackcloth? It would irritate you. It would bother you. It would be a nuisance. By the way, just like our sin irritates a holy God, And just like our sin bothers God. And can I remind you, you may be comfortable in your sin and you may have gotten used to your sin, but there's a God in heaven that is still holy and there is a God that is still on the throne and he is still righteous. And there is a God that hates sin and there is a God that judges sin. They put on sackcloth. Not only did they put on sackcloth as a sign of repentance, but here's what the Bible says. They fell on their faces before God. If that's not humility, I don't know what is. By the way, this was not the poor of the poor. This was not the least of the least. This was the king and all the elders. And they said, we need God. And we're not too big for God. And we're not too big to fall on our faces before God. Let me ask you this morning, Victory Baptist Church, when was the last time you fell on your knees For anything. When was the last time you fell on your knees because of your sin? When was the last time that your sin started to bother you so much that you said, if this sin bothers me so much, I wonder how it bothers God. And if this sin is bothering me so much and this sin put Jesus on the cross, i got to get it right. I've got to confess it. I've got to forsake it. When was the last time that you got serious about your sin? And I tell you, David fell on his face. He was in the posture of humility. I wonder, when was the last time you fell on your face and you began to pray for your family? When was the last time you fell on your face and began to pray for a soul that needed to be saved? When was the last time you fell on your knees and fell on your face and prayed for a a child that was backslidden? When was the last time you fell on your face and, and prayed for God to do something in our church? When was the last time you prayed for your city When was the last time you prayed for this state of North Carolina or prayed for our country? Can I tell you, that's maybe why we've not seen God turn the nation back is because we've not been praying. Number one, I see the posture of humility. Number two, I see the prayer of humility. Verse 17, David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord, my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. Number two, the prayer of humility. David takes responsibility. He says, God, it's not their fault. It's my fault. We say the opposite. God, it's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. God, I wouldn't have done that if it weren't for my coworkers. You, God, you know my coworkers. They drive me crazy. And maybe they do, but that's not an excuse. Say, God, it's my family. And God, if you knew the kind of family I grew up in, you'd understand. No, 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 no. Quit blaming everybody else. Quit blaming your mother and your father and your brother and your sister. Quit blaming your kids and quit blaming your parents and quit blaming the school and quit blaming the coach and quit blaming the government and quit blaming everybody under the sun. You know who needs to get right with God? You and me individually. David said, God, I'm the prophet. And his prayer was a prayer of humility. His response was to say, God, I have sinned and I am responsible. Notice verse 26. I want you to see this in case we, uh, I don't get back, get to this at the end, but verse 26. David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offerings. You know what? You'd be amazed that if you'll pray a prayer of humility, God will answer you. You pray a prayer of humility and a prayer of confession and God will forgive you and God will restore you and God will cleanse you. The prayer of humility. Number three, I see the practice of humility. Verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad. Gad was the the prophet to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. We see number three, the practice of humility. David obeyed. David did what God said. David did what the prophet said that God had told him to do. He obeyed, he repented, and he acknowledged That he deserved punishment, but he needed God's mercy. Go back to verse number 13. Remember why David chose the third third option? He says in verse 13, For very great are his mercies. Can I remind you this morning that although God is a God of judgment and although God is a holy God and he is a righteous God, he is a God of great mercy. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? We wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the mercy of God. You wouldn't be saved today if it weren't for the mercy of God. But God is merciful. David said this in Psalm 103, God has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. The practice of humility, David obeyed. He repented. But then number four, I want you to see the price of humility. Notice verses 24 and 25. David knows he needs to offer a sacrifice on this very spot. And so Ornan, he is the owner of the property, And Ornan, he he witnesses all of this, and he says, David, you can have the property. David, I've got animals. You can have the animals. You can sacrifice them. Please take them. They're yours. I want you to have them. David says this, no, sir. I'm not going to take something that doesn't cost me anything. He said, I'm going to pay the full price. He was the king. He could have taken anything he wanted. But David said, oh, no. He said, I'm not going to do anything for God that's free or that is convenient or that is just easy. He said, I'm going to pay the price. Now, hang on. That is the opposite of Christianity in 2022. Here's what we say. I'll serve God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. I'll serve God as long as I can squeeze it in. I'll serve God as long as it doesn't mess up my priorities. I got news for you. You can take your priorities and you can chuck them out the window because your priorities don't matter when it comes to getting right with God. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference. And David said, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to pay the price. The price of humility. David Stepped out of the role of king and recognized that he was a sinner in the sight of God. He wasn't looking for a discount. He wasn't looking for a bargain. He wasn't looking for a good deal. He said, I'm willing to pay the price no matter what it is to get right with God. Let me ask you this morning. Would you be willing to pay the price? I'm not talking about just money now. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about giving up some things in your life. Would you be willing to pay the price so that you could get right with God? David was. He said, I'll give it all to be right with God. The price of humility. Number five, quickly, we see the proof of continued humility. Notice in verse number 26, the Bible says, And David built there an altar. That takes time. That takes some work. And he offered the burnt offerings and the peace offerings and he called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar. And verse 27, and the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again in his sheath. Now that's where some of us would have stopped the sacrifice. That's where some of us would have stopped the show and said, oh good, the judgment's over. Now we can go back and do whatever we want to do. Now we can go back and just have a good old time because God's judgment stopped. So we're okay now, but not David. Look at verse number 28. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. He said, I'm still gonna sacrifice. I'm still gonna give God what belongs to him. I'm still gonna do what God says, even though the judgment has stopped. Verse 30, but David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. David's proof of continued humility was that he had a reverence and a fear and a respect for God. And his humility was not a show, it was not a put-on, it was genuine. He truly wanted to get things right with God. I see number six. Lastly, I see the place of humility, Would you notice verse 29? The reason that David sacrificed right there, that's where he saw the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn. That's where God spoke to him, and that's where he obeyed on the spot. But it says this in verse 29, that the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering, were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. It's interesting that in the midst of all this, there's reference to the tabernacle. That was the the, the portable uh, tent-like structure that was set up in the wilderness for the worship of God. Well, there's no permanent temple yet, but notice verse one. Then David said, chapter 22, verse one, then David said, this is the house of the Lord, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And then it tells us that David started gathering all the materials to build the temple in this very spot on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. I think you know the story. God put the brakes on that and said, David, I'm not going to let you build the temple. I'm going to have your son Solomon build the temple because you've been a man of war. But David gathered all the materials and got everything ready for the temple. Now, hear me out. Gibeon was about five or six miles away. It was probably some rough terrain. It was probably hilly and probably rough. And David was not, he didn't feel like he could stop everything there and go and go to the tabernacle and go to the altar and all that. But David said, I'm going to make a place right here, a place of humility. But by the way, it wasn't just David's idea, it was God's idea because that became the very spot for the temple that Solomon would build. Here's what I'm saying. We need a place of humility. I'm going to tell you a secret. You know why I came to church today? I know, first of all, you think you know the the main reason, but it's only one of the reasons. I came to church today because I am the pastor, and I, I kind of have to be here, right? But you know why else I came to church today? Because I need the Lord. I need something from God because I can't do it without him. Because I don't have things figured out in my life. Now, maybe some of you do. I I doubt it. The fact that you're here today, I think that shows that you also came to a place of humility today. And you know why we come to church? Not because we have it together, but we come to church because we need something from God. And I think we realize today that if we don't have God, we're not going to make it. And if we don't have God, we don't have the answers for our marriage and we don't have the answers for our children. We don't have the answers for our country and we don't have the answers for life. If we don't have God, we're a mess. And that's why we come to a place of humility. People think, oh, those people, they just, that religion, I've, you've heard this before, that religion's just some kind of a crutch. Oh no, it's not a crutch. It's a stretcher for me. I need all of it. And it's not religion I need. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that I have. And I come to church because I want to worship God. And I come to church because I want to be right with Him. And I come to church because I need Him. You know what that takes? It takes some humility to say, I can't do it. But I need to get to a place where God can work in me. And I tell you, when you come to the church house, this is a place of humility. May we never come to the church and say, boy, I hope people notice me today. Boy, I hope people recognize how great I am. And I hope people realize that, boy, without me, this church wouldn't be anything. I've got news for you God would be just fine without all of us, but none of us would be fine without him. May God help us to humble ourselves. Jeremiah chapter 9. I'll read this verse and we'll close. The Bible says in Jeremiah 9, verse number 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth, and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise righteousness, judgment, and loving kindness. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. May God help us not to be lifted up in pride in our riches and our might and our wisdom. May God help us to fall on our knees before him and say, God, I need you. And may we humble ourselves before God.